always shine through us, Father God, so others might see you when they look at us. Father God, we just thank you for being our king and for sending your son to die on our cross. Father God, he bore it all for us to give us a chance at eternity with you. Father God, Father God, I just ask you to bless all my friends that are here today, Father God, because we came to take this time to set our week in motion and put you as our priority, Father God. We thank you for everything, Lord. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I've got a special guest here today. One of the most special people in my whole life. And I'm just honored to have him and his wife, Jeannie, here. Uh, like Em said, Em, stand over here with me. Em said it last night, said that we prayed for these two for years. We didn't know who we were praying for. <laughs> We we're praying for somebody to come alongside us and give us guidance and wisdom. Somebody that's been before us and that's experienced things that we haven't and can give us godly counsel and wisdom. And, uh, and so we're just honored to have you guys here in our church in Lakeview Hospital. <laughs> Re Reconstructive Surgery Hospital. And we just honor you guys, and so we just love you. And so this is my spiritual father, Tommy Tenney, and uh, we just love you guys so much. And so make your way up here, and will you guys give him the warmest Lakeview welcome you possibly can? Love you. Love you so much. Uh, I told my wife, I need, you may be seated, that uh, if I didn't get up there, he was going to keep talking and bragging until I did. So I started up here before he even said something. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Wow. It's great to see all of you at my church. I don't mean I pastor it, you know, just... How many of you call Lakeview my church? Yeah. That's me. Well, that means you belong. I belong. Yeah. And what, we, what he was talking about is we met with some uh, leadership and staff last night. And while we were having a little bit of worship, Justin did an amazing job. By the way, let's just stop right now. Has anybody noticed the stage? Emily, did he brag on everybody that worked on the stage yet? I'll talk to him later. <laughs> Justin, you and all your helpers that did all this, they had, after our retreat yesterday, they had to come up here, and I don't know, some of them talked about they may have to spend the night because this whole thing, I came yeah, uh, Saturday, uh, well, yeah, I think it was Saturday, Friday I came, and it did not look like this. 
They have done a lot of work. Pastor, did you notice that the baseboard is done right? Well, he was worried about that baseboard, and I said, nobody will care. Just get, do what you need. Them poor guys, he slave driver over there. <laughs> Justin, oh, what's he doing? Oh, he's getting a stool in case I have to sit down to. Uh, how many of you helped uh, work on the stage? Just stand up. Come on, give them all a hand. Back there, back there. Yeah. Thank you, sir. If you did the heavy lifting, I'm glad. I feel safer standing up here. <laughs> uh, I am just overjoyed and excited to be able to be here with you guys again. It's, um... <laughs> if, if you're gonna fix it, fix it right. It's still, it's, it's still, yeah, yeah. Get it in the middle. It's not in the middle. See, right here. No, no. You want it up higher? Go that way. And it's on the cord there. Okay. All right, now, now that's good. good. Yeah. <laughs> if they're going to keep coming up here and rearranging stuff, I'm going to have them arrange it right. <laughs> is, it, is it all right to go to a church where you can laugh and have fun? One of the best things about Matt is his ability to laugh, even at inopportune times sometimes. <laughs> is that right, Em? I love both of them, and I would have been happy just coming up, spending time with just them, but I get to enjoy some time with all of you. By the way, how many of you remember the last time I preached here, my iPad died? And I had to get my phone out and squint to see everything. I have a new iPad. Yeah. It's got a battery life of nine hours, so I hope you're not ready for anything till supper. Because <laughs> the last time I was here, I preached till I ran the battery out. I got to do try to do that again. <laughs> but no, I, it's it, it. I think the next day, I, I was trying. To, I, what was what was scary is I was getting ready like in two days or, or three days at the most from when I was here. I was going to preach in France, and and this is this is my Bible. You know, it's got notes. It's got everything in it. So we had to make a quick trip to Little Rock to the Apple store, see if they could fix it. And they beat around the bush so long. It took us, how many hours? Four hours to buy an iPad and get stuff trans transferred over because we had to wait our turn. They didn't know who I was. <laughs> They didn't know Matt. That, you know, everybody knows Matt. Stand up, sweetheart. This is my sweet wife of 48, nearly 48 years now. 
She's the only one I know that'll give Matt a run for his money in laughing. Uh, she's been married to me for so many years, and she still, if I make a joke, she still laughs at it. So either I am really funny and should also be a comedian, or she's just really nice. Take your pick. We're talking about... <clears throat> I, I do need one more thing. Where's Josh? Uh, I need a half a cup of coffee. It's black. Yeah, thank you. I, how, how can I preach about... <coughs> Give it a swirl. So how can I preach about good to the last drop? I don't have some coffee up here. And now, when I start sipping that coffee, things are liable to get lively. <laughs> that, that'd be my second cup of the day. I remember when the, this was the, um, the logo, I guess you'd call it, the, the uh, saying, the, what do you call it? The slogan, slogan. yeah the slogan for Maxwell House Coffee. For many, many years, it was the, uh, yeah, you can come on. <laughs> now look, this is tall, that's short, so it has to go on this side of it. Yes, sir, I understand. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's pretty good coffee. Thank you. I don't know if it's Maxwell House, but I'll take it. I just thought I can't preach about good to the last drop if I don't have a prop for it. That's a good excuse that I can find to get to be able to drink co sip coffee while I'm preaching. It helps keep my throat clear and warm, too. <clears throat> good to the last drop. But what? How many of you here just love coffee? How many of you here don't? Lord help these sinners. What about instead of coffee, do you like tea? There's a whole bunch of you don't drink anything. But we're talking about something more valuable. You know, they have all these little sayings that you see, and they're cute little things. People put them, don't, don't talk to me until I've had my first cup of coffee. Do you know anybody like that? My wife said, I do. <laughs> my brain doesn't function until I started sipping coffee, and it's like the awake switch comes on. Nothing smells better in the morning than frying bacon and coffee. Ooh, man. That may be what we eat when we go to heaven. But. As, as, as getting, by the way, thank you to all the guys that, and ladies that were at the tree to see Tricia, see Clarence. I worked on remembering their name. Josh is there, Pastor Matt and M and Justin and... 
Cody and where's Paige? Oh, Paige, right there. And am I missing anybody? Oh, Kevin and Shannon. How about, see, I, I do kidneys, man, kidneys. You didn't get that, did you? It's, it's a family joke, that's why. But since we're family, I'll tell you. That was, the, you ever heard of the Phillips, Craig, and Dean? Well, I, I, I'm five, six, maybe seven years older than Randy Phillips, who's the founder of that. His mom and dad were in my mom and dad's wedding, and so we know each other. All of Phillips, Craig, and Dean. My wife dated Dan Dean before she found me. <laughs> So I, I, I know them real well, and I was trying, I was, the adults were all talking, and they told me to play with Randy. Well, he's five years old. I couldn't get him to stop drinking out of the toilet. <laughs> and I said, why are you doing that? And he said, kidneys, man, kidneys. So I went and told everybody in the living room, they just fell out on the floor, and nobody went to help the poor guy to get me to stop him from drinking water. He'd get the cups off the the sink and just, so if you ever see Phillips Craig and Dean now you'll have a picture in your mind that you won't be able to get out that's life isn't it just crazy thing anybody ever had something crazy happen to you alright we're talking about good to the last drop how that you know it's, an, it's a play off of how, how you want coffee and it needs to be good and sometimes you get coffee that's not so good and the closer you get to the bottom the more bitter it gets for some reason and you get stuff that settles out of it at the bottom and just it, it's not it's not good but we're talking about something far far more precious than drops of coffee we're talking about drops of the blood of Jesus. That's good to the last drop. He shed his blood so that we might be saved, that we might be healed, that we might be reunited. That's, that's, that's what he did. The only, the only time he stopped bleeding, on, I, I'm not going to go into all the cruel uh, act of crucifixion, but the only time a crucified person would stop bleeding is when their heart stopped beating. So he bled for six continuous hours. And I don't know how many drops fell, but I can tell you the result of that. That enough drops of blood fell that there was en enough to save every person that ever existed in the history of planet Earth. Just think about that. Enough blood was shed. It, it's not like he's going to run out. The supply of the blood of Jesus is still here available. And some people say, oh, we don't, don't preach about the blood. I'm squeamish. Just put a Band-Aid on it. You can't put a Band-Aid on the pain that he endured for you. 
And he said it was so awful, people turned their faces and, and couldn't, couldn't watch. I understand your aversion to that, but you need to understand that he did it willingly for you. He didn't regret one thing that happened. In fact, as Matt preached last um, Sunday, his, his first words in, in the midst of this crucifixion spectacle, his first words were, Father, forgive them. And then he told the Father why to forgive them. He said, they don't understand what they're doing. They, they didn't know that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. First of all, Satan, who orchestrated it all, Satan himself did not know. Because there's a scripture that says, if he had known he was crucifying the Lord of glory, he would not. Can you imagine the devil having a, like a little party in hell. We did it, we did it, we And suddenly there comes a knock on the door and then there's not but one knock and he knocks down the door. And he walks into hell. Can you see Satan's jaw drop? Whoever walks into hell, I'll tell you, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He walks wherever he wants to walk. And he walks in and he takes the keys from Satan to death, hell, and the grave. Those are three separate things. The grave is where we're buried, where our physical body will lie. Uh, death is what happens to us at the point of our passing. So he took the keys of death hell. Hell is the place where uh, condemned souls are confined. And God said, I want those keys back. You purloined them from heaven and that, this is it. Now we're not going to do this anymore. And you know what t amazes me? If hell is Satan's domain, he doesn't even have the keys to his own front door. Matt, he don't have the keys to his own house because God opened the door and Satan can't even lock it. Do you know what that means? As Reinhard Bonnke would say, we can plunder hell to populate heaven. That means that if... if any people say, I don't need to go to hell, I'm living in hell. Well, can I tell you, the door's not locked. The door is not locked. You, you are free. In fact, the, the worst thing is to, I've read about a, a, um, a, a psychological study they did on prisoners. And after so, many, so much time of them being in prison, they started uh, unobtrusively leaving the cell door locked. None of them ever tried to get out. They were so accustomed to the door being locked, they never tried it. Satan's big lie is to try to tell you you can't get out of the mess you're in. But I came to tell you whom the sun sets free.
Hallelujah. Uh, let me finish. Whom the Son sets free is free, say it with me, indeed. It means unquestionably. Hallelujah. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the first words of the seven sayings, the traditional seven sayings, seven things that Jesus said on the cross. And I'm, I'm here today to talk to you about the second part of that. But I have to connect Father, forgive them to my part. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. So let, let me read. I'm starting in Luke um, 23, I think it's about verse 38. And this is a, a description of the, of the act of crucifixion at the, at the end of it. After they had crucified him, it says, And a superscription was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. So they had a sign over him. Uh, that The sign said, in, in Greek, in Hebrew, in Latin, though Latin was the, the uh, language of the Romans, Greeks, there were a lot of Greeks that lived in, in Jerusalem, and Hebrew, obviously, for the Israelites, but it wrote on the sign, this is the king of the Jews. They did it mockingly, but they didn't know. They were telling the truth. God doesn't mind Satan's ignorance advertising his truth. He'll let the devil's ignorance just, just advertise. Yeah, that's the truth. I'm king of the Jews. And one of the male factors, now that's an old-fashioned word. It's, a, it's an archaic English word, but it, it's talking about a bad dude, a, a, a criminal. And, and for the most part, a, a male criminal. And one of the criminals, which were hanged, like also hanged beside him, you know the story, there was one on one side and one on the other, railed on Jesus saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. In other words, if you really are the, the king and you got stuff to, that you can do, then, then save us. And some people feel like he cursed uh, when, he, when he was talking about that. The other criminal says to the one who was spouting off, do you not fear God, seeing you're in the same condemnation as him? And we are justly here for which we receive the reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Even the criminals knew he's not one of us. He's innocent. They said, we, he has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I've never really heard a salvation prayer prayed like that when people come forward and they receive Christ, but it worked for him. Lord, he, 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 he didn't even have the capacity to think he could be forgiven. He wasn't even asking to be forgiven. 
the most, he felt the, 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 the lowest hanging fruit on the tree. The highest he could reach would be, look, I know we're all going to die today, but when, when you die, you're going into your kingdom. You're just escaping earth and going into the kingdom of heaven. And I'm just asking you, when that happens, would you please just remember me? And it was like a lifeline when Jesus answered him to a drowning man. When the answer that Jesus gave, he, he didn't say, okay, you got to repeat after me. He didn't say, you know, I believe that there are some people that get saved by themselves when they just say, come to the realization, Jesus is Lord. And, and when they say that, there's a switch of allegiance that takes place in their heart. And when Jesus said, I, Verily or truly I say unto you, Today, everybody say today. today. It's not a contract, it's a contract, not a contracted today, it's a separated. Well, in, uh, in King James, the, the today has got two, a space, and a separate. But it's, I tell you, today, this day, Will you be with me in paradise? Now, I don't know how much longer that poor guy had to hang there, but he had hope now that when he took his last breath, he'd be carried by the arms of Jesus to a paradise he'd never been able to live in, no matter how much money he stole. And Jesus did that. Don't you ever doubt deathbed confessions. If your loved one did not come to Jesus until they were just basically on their deathbed and something, some little uh, naggling in, in your mind would say, I wonder if that really worked today. People can get saved up to the last breath they draw. Oh, hallelujah. So, when I reread this, waiting, uh, preparing after Matt told me what he, he wanted me to preach, I love it when preachers assign me a task. It makes me, makes me I, do, I do love it. It makes me... Uh, dig into something new and present it differently. I, I, I absolutely love it. So when he did, I reread all of that again. And here's the word that came to my mind. Magnanimous. Magnanimous. Uh, the word magnanimous is... Uh, an incredible, it means overarching kindness. That, that, that if a person is magnanimous, that the overarching thing in their life is kindness. And in this case, a magnanimous Jesus, uh, his overarching, he was still forgiving people with his last breaths. 
not only about us, when he said, Father, forgive them, that, that criminal next to him said that when Jesus said, or he thought, remember, he could have accepted the forgiveness that Jesus extended when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He could have been one of the them. There was no exclusionary words. He didn't just say, forgive the ones who are crucifying me. It's, he, he, forgive them. Anybody that has a part, that anybody that's on this play, this drama of death today, if, if they want forgiveness, forgive them. It was already extended, but the criminal thought he was too bad to have that uh, forgiveness brought to him. So he, he just questioned Jesus to remember me, and he defended him to the other. And when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, what a magnanimous act that in his last few breaths, he was still forgiving people. I have to say that the most magnanimous forgiver can use that word magnanimous forgiver that I personally know is my wife you guys are all laughing but it's true because if she's lived with me for nearly 48 years you have no idea of what all I've been forgiven of and she still loved me. And by the way, if you want a 48-year-long marriage, you better become a good forgiver and a forgetter. Because when Jesus forgives, he forgets. And he high. Some people says, can, can God build a wall so high that he himself cannot get over it? Well, I'm not sure about the wall, but God can put a barrier between himself and your sins so high he can't see over it. He can't even see to remember your sins. And if you're still dealing with guilt and saying, oh, God, forgive me of that, he's probably saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, it's kind of the, the, the grandfather or the grandmother effect when, when a, uh, a, a child... Is, is a little bit misbehaving and, uh, you know, like, I got an eight-month-old grandson and his mom is already fussing at him. So when, I'm, when he's with me and she said, how was he? Perfect. <laughs> was he? In my mind, I don't care how many times he pulled my beard or whatever he did because he's, he's, he's perfect. Now, I understand that she's already trying to Teach him about the rules of the road, and, and that, that's, that's okay, and no hitting. And uh, he, Right now, he's cutting teeth, so he's biting everything. If you put your nose up there, you're liable to get bit. But if I did get bit, I'd just put a Band-Aid on it and say uh, something happened. I wouldn't tell. Because I, I don't, I, I'm a magnanimous forgiver and she's a mean mama. <laughs> I know you have to do that sometime, but I don't have to. I did that once. Raised three kids. Now it's my turn to say there's nothing wrong. Their poop don't stink. <laughs> Sorry to say that over the pulpit. You can... Blame it on the coffee. 
But I'm serious when I say magnanimous forgiver. Uh, I, I told, it's all right if I tell a story I told them at the, at the leadership thing last night. I, I told them about one time I came home from a trip and I don't know how I did it, but in, I managed in 30 minutes to make every woman mad at my house. <laughs> and the only male in my house was a puppy. He, he's always glad to see me no matter what, but I had a, a wife and three daughters in, in 30 minutes. I, I, I know what it was, I know what caused it, but I don't know what I did. Still don't know what I did. She probably can't remember what I did because she's already forgiven me, but I, I don't know what I did, but uh, I, I do know that I was grouchy. But the, in, does anybody here ever get grouchy when they're tired? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Remember, liars are going to hell, so. <laughs> anybody here get grouchy when you're tired? <laughs> Stacy's got two hands up. Some of them. Some people standing up and say, yeah, that's me. leave me alone when I'm tired. Don't talk to me till after I've had my nap or whatever. I, I, I don't know what I did, but I did something. And then I realized I had done something, but I didn't know what I, I, I did. Men are basically clueless creatures. Women, you're so kind. You should have been shouting hallelujah, amen. Uh, and the problem with men is we just don't know. Paige is enjoying that, Justin. And we just don't know. Just don't know. And the, the real problem is we don't know that we don't know. I got men confused right now. <laughs> She'll explain it when you get home. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know that we don't know. So I, I, I didn't know what I had done. I just knew something. That I had done something. How can you fix it if you don't know what you don't know? So I decided that to do the typical, normal uh, Typical, normal uh, solution that every man would think of, let's go eat. <laughs> Come on, man. Is that, that like a, it, when you've got a problem and you don't know how to solve it, let's go eat. Let's go to Chili's. That's where we went. Only thing I succeeded in doing is moving the private tent, the detention from the privacy of our house to the public area of Chili's. It was still icy stares at me. We went to sit down and I usually like to order immediately because waitresses sometimes they'll, they'll bring your, your drink order and it's two years later when they come to ask you for what you want to eat. But I, I, I sat down and we, I said, no, we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be ready to order. And I looked, my, my wife wasn't there. Uh, my three daughters were. My oldest daughter was probably around 15. I'm not sure that she was driving yet, but she was close to that age. And uh, I asked her, I said, where's your mom? She said, I don't know. When I last saw her, she had, 
she was on her phone at the door. You know how sometimes you get a phone call and you just don't wait to go in where it's noisy. And I thought, oh, she's, she's dealing with something from the office or whatever. And I, I said to the, to the waitress, ma'am, just take their order and I'll be right back. I'm gonna go check with my wife. I walked out there. Let me get my phone out so I can show you explicitly. <laughs> so I walked out there and as I walked up to her, I overheard her talking like this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, Pastor. Well, that's not unusual. She talks to pastors all the time about, yes, Pastor. That is exactly what he did. <laughs> and that is exactly what he said. And she looked up and saw me and she said, oh, here he is right now. She had called my pastor on me. <laughs> and she handed me the phone and walked in the restaurant. And I said, sheepishly kind of said, hello. And he started laughing. He said, son, however in the world did you manage to get all three of them mad at you? I said, I don't know. And he gave me some advice. I'll tell you real quick what it was. He said, look, the rest of the day, your, an your only answer to anything is yes. Now, you have to understand, there were there many years that I won the badge for not having gone to the mall for an entire year. Any men with me? Can I hear it from the men? Yeah, amen. I don't want to go to the mall. Go to Home Depot. <laughs> spend four hours looking around. But... Uh, I, I just didn't, I didn't go shopping. Like I just wasn't interested in it. But my wife said, look, I got to get some shoes for the baby. I don't want to take you home. Is it okay? And I Yes. Then she said something else, and I said, yeah, that's, that's okay. And after the shoe escapade and the few other, they, they said, can, can we get ice cream? Yes. <laughs> I don't have anything to do, just dresses were bought, <laughs> shoes were paid for. It was an expensive day. But when I woke up the next morning, all was well in the tinny house <laughs> because I had a pastor. And I want to tell you, you, you have no idea how fortunate, I wouldn't even say lucky, but how, how, how fortunate, how lucky, how great it is for you to have a pastor that realizes even though he is a pastor, he needs a pastor. Amen. And for him to publicly recognize it. And yeah. M said something about it, now I know what to do. I'm just calling you. <laughs> She's got my number. So Matt, who better straighten up and fly right? Everybody needs a pastor. 
what got me on that story is my wife, by the next day, she, I, it was all forgiven. It was like nothing had ever taken place because if, if, my, if my wife, she can get upset at you, but if, if she ever says it's okay, it's never mentioned again. It's never brought up again because some people, they like to bring up forgiven mistakes and drag them into the, to the present. Don't be that kind of person. To whom much is forgiven, much is required. That means you have to be the kind of person that can say, okay, I'm, I'm not bringing this up again. That's, that's, that's magnanimous. Uh, Matt told me something when I told him about this. That If I remember at the last sermon that uh, Charles Spurgeon... How many, everybody kind of, you kind of know who Charles Spurgeon is? Most famous preacher of his, his decade and, uh, or his, his, his lifetime in, in England, Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, you said that the last sermon he preached, he preached on the magnanimous Lord. Or used, used that. And, and now, if, if Spurgeon can use that word, I can use that word because. What I want you to understand is that you got you got a man dying on the cross named Jesus who is literally with his last breath still forgiving. He's not ra railing out as one thief did. He's not lashing out. I'm sure he's crying out, but in the middle of his cries, he's forgiving. Magnanimous. It's just the word, the only word I can say. Uh, and sometimes we need a more appropriate or a more approachable example. What Jesus did on the cross was on another scale. It was on a scale that could forgive the whole world and still forgive the man beside him. Forgiving the very soldiers when he said, Father, forgive them. Because if he said today you're going, if he said to the man, today you're going to be with me in paradise, what does that mean happened to that man's sins? They were forgiven. They're washed away. They're cast into the sea of forgetfulness and put up a no fishing sign. It's it, it's 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 over with. Why? Because I and some people say, well, Jesus didn't say I forgive you. Well, you just tell me how he's going to get into heaven without being forgiven. Sometimes forgiveness happens without a word being said. You can forgive somebody that won't even talk to you. Because it's not upon them to ask for forgiveness. The onus is upon you to give forgiveness. Whether it's ever asked for or not. Oh, now that's pastor preaching right there. The, 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 the onus is on you to forgive whether anyone even asks you or not. You, you're, you're supposed to forgive. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he, he was including the, the sinners, the other sinner, even after he cussed at Jesus and said, if you're really who you say you are, then if he had just, after he said that, say, I'm sorry, Jesus was said, you're going with me today. He would have forgiven him. Aren't you glad that God will forgive those 
whom you, those who need to be forgiven. You forgave the soldiers. The personal level of forgiveness is sometimes the hardest hill to climb. One of my favorite authors, his name is Gene Edwards, and he has a book that I really like. And he, he uses an analogy in the book, and he writes about it like, like our life is like climbing a mountain, okay? And, and it's rough and it gets steep. It's easier than it gets harder. You know how life goes. Vacillates back and forth. And he said that what we are supposed to do is climb to the highest point on the mountain we can climb. The mountain of perfection, maybe. The mountain of every, doing everything right. And he said, the real issue is that nobody makes it to the top except Jesus. He made it to the top of the mountain and lived in perfection. The rest of us just climb a few feet from the bottom and, and try to, and, and you're supposed to plant your fat flag on that. And he said, before you can really ascend to any heights, you have to learn, listen to me now, you have to learn how to forgive those who never ask for it, who still treat you bad, who talk to you like you're an, an underling. You have to forgive those who use you, who mistreat you, who turn you sideways, who tell lies on you. It's, 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 your, it's not their job to ask for forgiveness. It's your job to forgive. That's magnanimous. I know it's, what I'm talking about is, is difficult to walk out sometimes, but I'm still telling you, it's what he asks us to do. It's what he wants us to do. That, that forgiving, even Jesus was forgiving the corrupt and, and the easily influenced court system. How did a, a, an innocent man that even thieves would know he's innocent get convicted? That even Pilate would really want to wash his hands literally of the event that he was giving his if not overt permission, yes, you can do his tacit commission. Okay, I'll sign the paper. That Pilate, before or after that was all being completed, he called for a basin and publicly said, I want you to know, I'm not the one doing this, but it's a corrupt system that a man that knows you're not guilty still places you under the condemnation of a guilty thing. That, that's why... Jesus was able to forgive Pilate if he had asked. No matter how corrupt, Pilate would have gone with him to paradise. He, Jesus had to forgive the Roman system with its unfairness and its taxes and its temple-destroying soldiers. He had to give, forgive the Roman system, its laws, and its so-called civilization we talk about the Roman civilization, but I want to tell you, it was a rough place to live unless you were a part of the elite Romans. 
And it would allow, they would forgive the whole thing that would allow such a horrendous act to take place because crucifixion was actually, when we talk about, oh, well, maybe Jesus was only, the only three, no. Crucifixion was actually very, very common in the Roman provinces. And there are times that the road leading into Rome, because they, they would always crucify people alongside the road so they other people could see them and make fun of them and poke at them or do what they wanted to do. They were left up there until buzzards would pick their bones. And sometimes the, the road to Rome was lined with as many as 500 crucified people. So crucifixion was not uncommon. It was quite common. But forgiving the Romans is one thing. What about forgiving the prejudicial Jewish religious structure, which unanimously called for his crucifixion, with the possible exception of Nicodemus? We're not 100% sure how he voted. But that, that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees would all unite, even though they had doctrinal differences and argued with each other over eschatology and when, who's going to be raised from the dead when. They asked Jesus some of the stupid, I'm sorry, that's about silliest questions. <laughs> no, they were stupid. They would ask Jesus, trying to trick him, they said, okay, a, a man died and his wife remarried his brother and, and married this and that. And then when she died, okay, so in the, resur he, this, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Like, really? Because they, they, if they could get him to answer the question, they put him at odds with one group or the other. You don't have to ask God silly questions. Because for the most part, he's not going to answer that. But if you're sincere, he's going to say, Father, forgive. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Or if, if not today, one day. I prefer that personally. Are you ready to go to heaven, Pastor Tommy? Yeah, absolutely. I just didn't know you were getting up a trip today. <laughs> she says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The, the thief knew he was taking that trip today. I, I can say, and you can, and you can say to each other, one day. <laughs> say it with me, one day. One day. I, will be in paradise. I will be in paradise. Tell somebody next to you, one day. One day. I will be in paradise. And, and I want you to go with me. For Jesus to be able to magnanimously forgive and convey to, so as after we don't like let's use Nicodemus for example, after Jesus was resurrected, only one member of the Sanhedrin that that, that convicted him wrongly and immorally, only one came to him and 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 said, "Can I talk to you?" And that was Nicodemus. So the, the way that conversation went, you know what it tells me. That Jesus was in a forgiving mood 
to one of the men of the Sanhedrin who voted for his own crucifixion. And, and you know, he was essentially saying to Nicodemus, I'm not going to go into all, it's a beautiful conversation, but he said, one day, you can be with me. That was the, that was the door that Jesus cracked open for him. That the thing about, uh, I'm trying to say something good about this, but I can't. If you can't silence the revealing voice of the bad messenger that points out hypocrisy, then what they often do is just kill the messenger. And obviously that don't stop the freight train of truth contained in the message of forgiveness and paradise, nor did it stop the truth of Jesus, the Christ, the risen Savior, who after all you do or say, he still says, one day. One day. If you're holding on to belief for a, a loved one and you can't say today, just start saying, one day. Oh, I... I like what I feel. When we say that, I feel, I feel when I'm preaching and something is, is, is resonating, I feel something rise up in me. And every time we say one day, that fire of faith comes up just a little bit higher because some, somebody is catching the truth of one day. May, may not be today, but one day. My husband, one day. My son, one day. My daughter, one day. My friend. One day, I don't know which day, but even if it's on the day of their death, it can happen right there and right then because we have a magnanimous Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Do you know, uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead and he was traveling around teaching and, and going through all of his stuff, after he did that, do you know that there was a... a Lord, help me. I didn't know I weighed that much. That thing went down 22 inches. That uh, Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, that he actually was, uh, w went to Bethany and was having dinner. I call it supper at Simon's house. And there were fa uh, factions of the Sanhedrin and that were there, and they were trying to decide, okay, we killed the guy, and he rose again. What do we do next? You know what some of them said? You can read those passages. They said, well, the only thing I know to do, let's kill him again. And Jesus sat at dinner with some who were ready to kill him again, just to silence him. What a magnanimous Savior. He can sit with you at the table of treason and betrayal and you still are eligible for a one day experience. Saul on the Damascus road one day had an encounter and it turned a murderous man, a mass murderer. Well, can mass murderers be saved? A mass murderer wrote two thirds of the New Testament. So I would say so. He had been previously caught up in killing Christians and then one day, 
he saw the light. And it took him a few years to, to learn to study, to, 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 to acquire the knowledge. But before too long, he was preaching just like they were. And eventually suffered the same kind of basic death that they, he had inflicted upon them. And didn't, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't complain about it. He just said that's what... So, when we make that question... Father, forgive, or remember me, or however it happens in your life or your loved one's life, you need to understand that even when a person, I'm trying not to make this too long, but I want you to learn. Even when a person stops breathing, and we call it what? It's death. When a person stops breathing, we call it death. Can I tell you, they're just as alive as they ever were. They're just not in their physical body. And for some of you, the saying is, well, I lost my dad or I lost my mom. I understand why you're saying that. But how can you lose something that you know exactly where it is? You, You didn't lose your dad. You know where he is. Paradise. You didn't lose your mom. Oh, I know they're lost to you because they're not in the same form as you. But when a person stops breathing, and I wrote this down specifically, I wanted you to know that when a person stops breathing, they're still alive because a soul, once it's born, will never die. But what Jesus did is his soul and his spirit went back into his body instead of normally... Uh, death is a, a, a dead-end street. There's no turn, you know, it's just, that's it. You, re- you reach the end. But Jesus turns the, the dead-end street of death into a doorway to heaven because his spirit re-entered his body, reanimated it, and he went about preaching. There's going to, oh, I'm feeling a Pentecostal fit come on me right now. There's going to come a day when... He'll sound the trumpet and they'll, he'll speak. And the Bible says the dead will rise. From wherever place your soul had taken refuge in the bosom of Abraham, your soul is going to re-enter. How, how do I have permission to re-enter a, a desiccated uh, de- old dead body and reanimate it and re-put flesh on it? Because Jesus' destroyed body was raised three days later from the dead. And if he can do that, he can usher you to paradise. And the reason he rose is so he could come back and tell the rest of us how to get out of this mess. That there is a way out. And it's through forgiveness and through being magnanimous to one another. But if you forgive those, uh, then you will be forgiven. I read that somewhere. In a good book. Jesus essentially was magnanimously forgiving and taking everybody. Because here, here's another scripture that talks about Jesus during that three-day period. What did he do? And I'm not here to tell you this. I could preach a whole series of things because it's amazing. I told you one. He went to hell and took the keys. 
the other thing the Bible said, and I'm just going to quote it for you, but it says, he moved the righteous dead. He moved them. Okay. Uh, when those who had died in the faith, that means they died believing that the Messiah was coming. They never saw it, but they died believing that they were closeted away and secreted away in a place we really don't know how to explain because the Bible just gives us kind of one explanation. It says, in the bosom of Abraham, which to a Jew meant everything. He's encompassed in the great big hug of Father Abraham. But when Jesus died, he moved. Everybody say he moved. Just like I grab Matt and say, come on, I'm going to move you. And he moved them over there. Oh, out of the bosom of Abraham, where did he move them to? To paradise. <laughs> oh. He moved the righteous dead. You know, they may have thought they were forever confined into that limbo land. One of the first things he did is during that three-day period, he was busy. First day, he was taking keys back. I don't know. Maybe it was the second day that he did just what, and he moved them. Don't tell me God can't even do things beyond the reach of humanity. I don't understand all about that. I'm just telling you what the Bible said. Am I right? Is that what it says, Matt? He moved them. Come on, boys. Come on, guys. Come on, ladies. I got a better place waiting for you. You, you can wait for the rest of them in paradise. And, uh, maybe the, the thief was the first one that kind of made it there, and he moved the righteous dead, and so... They're awaiting us. We'll be reunited. With, and that he will quicken our mortal bodies. The word quicken means, you ever cut your fingernails and it went into the quick? Quick means it's alive. Your, your fingernails are basically dead, but you can clip them. They, they clipped the fingernails on that little eight-year-old baby. And they missed my daughter did. Caught a little bit of his skin and he bled a little bit. I just wanted to spank her. <laughs> Why? It got in the quick. Okay, so when the, the Bible uses the word quick or quicken, it's talking about the, the, the alive part. So when he said he will quicken our mortal bodies, here's what that means. He will enliven. He will make alive again. I don't know where the dust of your, all your bones may be spread or gone. I've got friends that they wanted their ashes spread over the ocean. I, they, there's angels that are keeping track on every molecule for every person who died in the faith. And somehow when it comes time, it's going shh. Reconfigure their mortal body. Only this time there'll be, you know, you, have, you won't have any scars. Nobody can see that you've had surgery. The only scars that are going to be in heaven are his scars. Could he have erased his scars in his mortal body? He could have totally erased 
every symbol of crucifixion, but he wanted it kept there like a trophy on the shelf so everybody could see, I really did pay for it. It really was paid for. He will quicken our mortal bodies and so shall we ever be with him. Your hope for someone is that they will rise with you. Meet you in the air. Old song goes. This, this issue of him forgiving sin, it literally goes into more like this. He became sin. Jesus never ever felt guilty in his life until those moments on the cross. Can you imagine? Uh, I, I, I remember as a little boy when I had a BB gun and for, for years I would shoot at stuff and I, I, I shot at thousands of birds and missed every time. And then the first time I ever shot a little bird and it fell, I ran carrying it into my house, into the house, and crying, telling my mom, "Mom, mom, do something!" Uh, she, she can't do mouth-to-mouth uh, -mouth resuscitation on a sparrow. But she said, "Well, why did you shoot him?" I said, "Cause that's what you do." But I didn't really know it was going to kill him. It broke my heart, you know. As a little kid, now an adult, I've I've seen gruesome car wrecks, and I understand that life is passing and. And things can happen, and, and it's not always a, a, a beautiful, easy scene, but it, 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 it's just, it, it's, it's, say, it's just life. Say it with me. It's just life. <laughs> and in the, the process, the first time that Jesus ever felt guilt, because he had never done anything wrong, he never felt anything, he always had the smiling gaze of his father. But scripture gives us the understanding that when he was crucified, that the father turned his face away. He didn't turn away because he didn't want to see. He turned away because Jesus now had to feel the full weight and the condemnation of every sin you've ever committed. Every sin somebody behind you committed. Every sin people in this room committed. Every sin that was ever committed in the world fell on him like an anvil. And his shoulder sagged as he realized this is the weight I have to bear and carry. But he carried it. And he took your sins and my sins. And overcame them by his righteous death. Could have blamed somebody. But no, it's Father forgive and let's take them to paradise. He took your sins and he took my sins. In order to get to paradise, Jesus marched militantly, if weakly and struggling. He struggled so you don't have to struggle. He embraced weakness so you can embrace strength. What a Savior. Only Saviors can save. That's why we can save one day. Say it with me. One day. I told you his death reached back and gathered up all the sins of Adam and Eve and Moses and Abraham. The ill-tempered reactions of prophets Elijah and Elijah and all the sins of those who've gone before. And he, like a broom in a dustpan, he relentlessly swept every corner to make sure he got everybody. He's not going to leave anybody that wants to go behind. If you want to go on the train, there's room for you. 
There was enough blood shed to pay for your passage and give you a ticket to paradise. I'm not talking about a ticket to Silver Dollar City. I'm not talking about an annual pass to Six Flags. He gave you an eternal pass that everything is forgiven and you get to live eternally with him in paradise. Why? Because his blood is good to the last drop. Come on, somebody shout amen with me. Good to the last drop. Justin, come on. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. The death was bad, but the blood is good. The whipping was terrible, but the blood was amazing. The, the, the crucifixion was almost unwatchable, but his blood was, did miraculous things. He, he looked at your sins and he looked at my sins and he said, I'll take that. You don't have to worry about it. So I, I would have to say more magnanimous than the forgiveness of my wife or I, my many missteps and mistakes. Don't sit there and... And, and, and look at me like a tree full of owls and oh the preacher's saying he made mistakes like you didn't if you are breathing you're on credit because God's just letting you breathe if he gave you what you were owed he would take everything you have and take your breath but he doesn't do that one day, I'm trying to keep from crying, the most magnanimous man that ever stood on planet Earth went on a shopping spree with an unlimited credit card. I used to have a, a, a when, I, when I used a lot of credit cards. Have anybody you know what a black American Express card is? Probably seen that. Okay. I used to have one because in our ministry, we would have to charge sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars of things. It was an easy way to get funds overseas and, and do things that we needed to do. And I had a black, my, my, if, to, to, if you have a Black American Express, your credit limit is usually begins at $100,000. There's basketball players that have bought houses for a million or so dollars and used their, I, I know one of them, he used, used his black so he could get points. That's kind of chintzy to me. He wanted a million points, but American Express doesn't care if, that's your, if you'll pay the bill the next month. Jesus went shopping with an unlimited heavenly express card that said, I have enough credit in here to pay. I have enough drops of blood. That's the credit. I have enough to pay for everybody that's ever been. And he did something. This is the last thing I want to tell you about. I'm going to use a theological term. He imputed righteousness. Imputed. It's not a word we use, but it's a word you can tell that the writer had to reach for. I, sometimes when I'm writing, I have to use a little bit bigger word because I can compact thought into a shorter sentence. And it helps me to, to do that. So the, the writer took on a word that's even difficult to describe. It, it, the, word, the root word is impute. 
Impute means to lay the responsibility or blame for something, often falsely or unjustly, on something else. Impute means to, to credit. You know how when your account, account is credited? Not, not, not uh, what's the opposite word of credit? Debited, sorry. Not debited, but credited. How many of you like it when they credit your account? Well, you bunch of rich folks, you don't even care. Come on, how many of you like it when there's credit that comes into your account? When, when that thing you bought and you return, they finally get the credit back on there. Okay, imputation is kind of like credit, but it's credit you didn't deserve. I, I read recently about a lady that she looked at her bank statement and she had over a million dollars in it. And she, she knew somebody had made a mistake somewhere. And so she kept track, and she didn't spend any penny of that. Just, just sat there. Everybody at the bank started treating her nicer and everything. Finally, like six months later, somebody from the bank called and said, Ma'am, did you, did you have an unaccounted for uh, credit applied to your account? She said, yes, I've been waiting on it. took six months for them to sort it out. But they had credited her. I don't know about the rest of you. I might have been tempted. I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. But she, but she didn't spend any of it. She had a, had a, had a million dollars. It was credited to her account. When you were a sinner, righteousness was imputed to you. It was credited to your account. When you were in the hole, and if hell is not a hole, I don't know what is. Says hell is a bottomless pit. That's a deep hole. When you're in the hole, nope, none of you have ever been in the hole financially. So just look straight ahead right now. Don't look at it. Just, just smile and nod. Like, no, I've never been in the hole. When you were in the hole financially, when you were in the hole spiritually, He credited salvation to your account that not only wiped away your sins, but added to your balance and gave you life eternally. That's what imputation does. So He imputed into us righteousness. He took our bad credit and redlined it out of existence. His blood was the ink. That's why I say He redlined our bad credit out. You have a perfect credit store in heaven. If you, I said perfect. I didn't say you were perfect. I'm not perfect. My wife is forgiven. But if you are walking in forgiveness, you have a perfect credit score in heaven. Go ahead and draw on your reserves. Hallelujah! I, uh, I, that's basically what I wanted to tell you. I got some other things written down, but I, I feel like right now is when I need to talk to you about how do you apply the blood it's very simple just like the thief used words you use your words well don't I have to do something no we do not believe in penance you know, I, I, I've been pitifully watched even Christians uh, in places like Guatemala and the church is up on a hill 
they will start from the bottom of the hill and crawl on their knees making signs of the cross all the way up and you ask them why and they said well because I did something wrong can I tell you there is nothing that you can do that would wipe away your sins I don't care how far you crawl that's not what it does walk boldly into the throne room of grace did you hear what I said walk boldly into the throne room of what judgment no grace right now if you get in his presence you get grace you get forgiveness you get paradise I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to sell you real estate in a place you've never been yet but I'm telling you how cheap the price I'm trying to tell you how cheap the price is for a piece of paradise in heaven. You know, I like I like the Bahamas. I like to go down to the Keys. Anybody want to buy me a place down there? I would let you come once a year for a week. I, 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 that's paradise. In fact, there's a place in the Bahamas they call it Paradise Island, Micah. It's beautiful. It has that Hotel Atlantis. You've seen all the ads. I've been there. I slid down that thing through the sharks. I understand. They call it paradise, but it has nothing to compare to the paradise that we're talking about. Where streets are made of gold. Where walls are made of precious stones. Hallelujah. And where the Lamb is the light. And Jesus Christ reigns supreme as Lord of all. And I'm trying to sell you a lot in paradise. And you're saying don't want to pay that price well how much does it cost it costs you about three words three sincere words father forgive me and if you can't hardly get those words out and you say lord remember me he'll credit your account how do you know because he did before I'm not going to be a legalist and say you have to say certain things and have a period where certain period. It's what happens in salvation is a transaction of the heart. I, I, I know that we are supposed to speak something in our words, but just, just say something. I love you, Jesus. Or whatever it is, and suddenly you'll feel His arms of love wrap around you and you'll stick a title deed to a, a place in paradise in your pocket. And He'll say, Mate, not today, but one day. You'll be with me in paradise. Give God some praise. Thank you, Lord. I just have a feeling in here like a bunch of us have some one days that we're believing that God's going to bring into the kingdom. If you've got some one days, I want you to come up here to this front and we're just going to declare unto God. Some of you may be forgotten or, or feel like, I don't know that they can be saved. You feel like you've done everything in your power. And I want to tell you this, when you've exhausted all your power, that's when God gets ready to start using His. Somebody put some tear stains on these new altars. Because prodigals are coming home. Prodigals are coming home. But it ain't going to happen unless we cry some tears. It's not going to happen. We got to believe.
They're still breathing. You're still working. God, if that heart's still pumping, God, your heart is still moved with compassion towards them. So, Lord, we activate our faith today, God. We activate our faith today, God. Send them home. Send them home. Send them home, God. God, you're looking for them. Just like the father and the prodigal son, God, you're looking out every morning, seeing if they're going to top that hill, God. Give them the nudge, God. Give them the nudge. The people in their life, God, that look like you, to be in paradise with us, Lord Jesus. 